0: Father, I want to thank you for Chris And uh, for who you made him to be, Lord I thank you for the the message you put on his heart Uh, And I pray that you would speak through him this evening, Lord Speak to us, open up our hearts, open up our minds As uh, we come and hear your word In your name, Amen I don't think I'm saying Is that right? Hello, hello, hello one, two, can you hear me? No? Okay. One, two, am I there? Someone's nodding, someone's not. That sounds, there we go. Hey, we're on. Well, it's great to be with you tonight. I'm going to try and avoid standing in the sun. I don't know how I'm going to do that. But, uh, um, my name's Chris, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's really good to see you. I hope you've had. I don't want your sunglasses. There's no way I want those sunglasses. No, they are not cool, whatever anyone says. Lottie, we agree on that? No? Okay. Um, I totally lost my place now. You put me off. Are they? Oh, sorry. I don't like them. They suit you. Not him. Anyway. Right. Where were we? Welcome. Good to see you. And... <laughs> um, just to say tonight, we'd love to invite you to stay for the quiz. Uh, one of the things that we're really passionate about here at St. Paul's is community. Building community, getting to know one another. Not just being friendly, but making friends. I think that's what we want. We don't want a superficial kind of high and by kind of Christianity. Is anyone else kind of... It's great to be welcoming. I can kind of wave my hand at all kinds of people, but actually we want to grow friendships. And the way we do that is by investing in relationships. Uh, so let's hang around tonight, do the quiz Get to know other people. If you're worried that you might be slightly tired tomorrow, you'll enjoy it anyway, so stick around. Don't worry about a late night. It's August. Um, Be late for work tomorrow. No, don't do that, especially if you work here. Uh, Before I begin, uh, let's just pray uh, just that God would speak to us through his word. Um, We're looking at Nehemiah chapter 3 tonight, which is quite an interesting passage. I'm not going to read it to you because it's basically a list of who built what and where which is 30-something verses that would take a while. And in this heat, I think it's one thing that we can probably cut out. But let's do pray. If you've got a Bible, it's worth having it open, because I will point to a few bits and pieces in there uh, as we go through. Father, we want to submit ourselves to your word, because it's life to us. We want you to speak to us through it, even through this uh, odd passage um, that really just lists out what your people were doing at that time. May it be life to us. May it challenge us. May it change us in every way we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you uh, who've not been here, and for those of you who have, we've been doing a a series in Nehemiah. It's a book in the Old Testament, it's one of the uh, kind of final books of the Old Testament, actually. Uh, And let me give you the story so far as to kind of catch you up to where we are today. We're in Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, but so far we meet this guy Nehemiah he's a Jewish man uh, who's lived and been born and raised in Persia in, uh, in captivity so even though he's Jewish he's never been to Israel up till this point he was working for a king called attar Xerxes um, in, in modern- day Iran if, if you like in Persia and he heard that Jerusalem his city his ancestral city if you like was uh, was decimated and destroyed. He knew that it had been um, uh, kind of overrun uh, in the exile, uh, which happened in about 586 uh, BC. But um, attempts to rebuild it, to re-establish it, had failed, and it had left the city in a worse state than it had had started. And his heart was broken, but his spirit was determined to do something about this catastrophe. So he goes to see his boss, uh, King Atoxerxes um, to ask him if he can rebuild uh, the walls of the city. A group had already gone back to try and rebuild the temple, to re-establish the worshipping life of Jerusalem. But the, the city was still under threat. It was still in disgrace, as Nehemiah says. So he goes and puts his life in his hands, because his boss was the one that had stopped uh, the original team rebuilding, which had led to the kind of destruction of Jerusalem's walls and its gates. So by going to the king and being unhappy in his presence, by asking him to reverse the decision, that was really taking his life in his hands. But his prayer to God was answered. God was with him. His favour was on him. Um, and the king let him go back to uh, Israel, to Jerusalem, with um, a group of people from um, who had been, who were also Jewish, who were in Persia. And they went back together and headed to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, Nehemiah went on a scouting mission late at night on his own. He got on a horse and he he rode around part of the city to get a real idea of what the damage was. It was as bad as he imagined He gathered together, after his scouting trip, he gathered together the leaders from within the city. So political leaders, religious leaders who were there, administrative kind of leaders, those who ran the city in the kind of terrible state that it was. And this is what he said. And you find this in chapter 2 and verse 17. You see the trouble we're in, Nehemiah says. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. But come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So the central mission for Nehemiah was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, establishing it once again as the center of, of, the, of the people of God, as the city where God dwelt, where the temple was, um, and to remove the disgrace that it felt. They still felt that sense of shame from being taken to exile, from having ignored God for so many years and walked into idolatry, into worshipping other gods. And they still felt that God hadn't yet forgiven them. God hadn't yet delivered them uh, because their city wasn't built again. Nehemiah gives this incredibly honest assessment of the situation. You see the trouble we are in. Basically, he's saying, we are in a right mess. Let's be honest, we are in a mess. And I think if we look at our own society, our own community even, there are are areas and places where we can say the same thing. We are in a mess. Um, And even if we look at the church in places, we we might feel the same. We might think, crumbs, we're really in a bit of trouble. We're not doing as well as maybe we should be. And I want to give you an example. Over the last 20 years, uh, lots of people who are in their 20s have left the church. In fact, it's not just a kind of a few that have left. It's been a hemorrhage. Um, in the last 20 years, 62% of those in their 20s have left church. That's 520,000 falling to 230,000. That's That's not a good thing. That's not good news. The good news is, is there are plenty of places where many people in their 20s, like here, are coming to faith. It's the reason that here we're so committed to reaching and discipling those in their 20s. It's the reason we have this guy here who does an amazing stuff. Uh, those Many of you know him uh, who work with those in their 20s to see them come to faith. Even though they're known as the missing generation, so many people are saying, this is the mess we're in. We must do something about it. We're running something called the Discipleship Year in September. It's a uh, a kind of partnership with other churches around the country. And, and if you're 18 to 25 and you're maybe post-university or even pre-university and thinking about taking a year out uh, and wanting to invest in your, in your walk with God, we'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you about the possibilities of, of that discipleship year, investing in your relationship with God for a year, serving in a local church um, so that you can grow into uh, leadership uh, and uh, do all that God has for you in the future. But we're not just concerned about one generation. We might, you know, we point to the 20s, but actually the reality is is there are so many other things we could talk about. Our desire isn't just to change a generation. It's not just to change a group of people or or one street or one, uh, one house. Our desire is to see the whole of our local community, every part of the city of London, and this nation transformed by the good news about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a really big task to me. That's quite a job that's going to take some going. In fact, actually, if I look at it with my own eyes, that seems impossible. When we look at this story, we see the task ahead for Nehemiah is huge. He's got to rebuild the outer walls of a city. And he's got to do it under pressure from his enemies. Listen to this, in chapter 2, verse 19, um, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, the plan to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, they scoffed contemptuously, what are you doing rebelling against the king like this? They asked. But Nehemiah replied, The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no stake or claim in Jerusalem. Now you might think, well, they're just having a bit of a go. They're not It's just verbal. They're not really saying anything. But what they say is this. What are you doing rebelling against the king? To rebel against the king of Persia, which is the biggest empire of their day. You don't do that and live. What they're saying is simply, well, all we have to do is not pick up the phone, but send an envoy, let King Xerxes know what you're doing, and, and not only will you be stopped, but you will be killed. Under very threat of death, the real threat of the uh, Persian army coming once again, sweeping over them, they start on this task ahead. The walls were rebuilt in fifty-two days. Fifty-two days. That's some speed. The city was now, could now be defended, and their enemies' threats were foiled. Whilst Nehemiah 3, which we're heading into now, appears to be mainly a list of who did what, on what bit of wall, there is some great insights there of how they managed to go from a place where their walls were in a mess, where everything was falling apart, they had nothing, they had a few tools and a few bits and pieces to build it with, and not that many people, considering the size of the task they faced. How they managed to rebuild an entire city in only 52 days. Bear in mind, it took them several years to build the temple, which is part of that city. Now, in order to introduce us into this idea of what they did, I think we need to look at a deeply theological film called Toy Story. So, we're going to watch a good long clip from there. Up there, it's if you. If, how many of you haven't seen Toy Story? Okay, a few. Let me just say, um, this part of Toy Story is uh, one of the characters, Buzz, has been kidnapped uh, by, um, I think his name's Eddie. Now, is that wrong? Yeah, it's Eddie. And he's uh, going to be destroyed. And so his friend Woody is looking to how to work out how to rescue him. So let's watch the clip. So bad. Okay, yeah, I know, I know, it's just as warm watching that as it is listening to me. You know, teamwork makes all the difference, doesn't it? We build best when we build together. To achieve the impossible, we have to work together. Teamwork is the key thing, and that's what we find in the clip there. Woody cannot do it on his own. He is without, he has no hope. His friend, his wife, the only friend he's got, he's been abandoned by his toys, his friends from uh, Andy's uh, Andy's playroom, and he's trying to rescue the one person that he really betrayed. But he can only do it with the help of others. And they're not exactly the kind of ideal helpers, are they, really? I mean, let's be honest, we're not talking the crack commando unit of the A-team, the kind of action figures. We're not talking about, uh, you know, the best of the best. We're talking about a bunch of toys that have been kind of molded and kind of damaged together by Sid, not Eddie, um, like Eddie came from, but um, you know, they're not the ones you choose to help. But when they work together with that sense of unity and team, it's amazing what can be achieved. For Nehemiah's vision to rebuild Jerusalem, it required all of the people that he had available uh, to work together on one goal. It didn't need thousands of skilled laborers. Maybe he would have thought, I need to take back the best builders in Babylon, the best uh, carpenters in Persia. But he didn't. He just got given a team of people to take with him. And all the way through this chapter, in chapter 3, we find these three words. Next to him. Next to him. Next to him. Listen to this. Merimoth, son of Uriah and grandson of Hakoz, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him were Meshulam, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezabel. And then, Zadok, son of Barna. Next were the people from Tekoa. Next was Jonah and Joshua. Next was Fred and Izzy and George. Well, they were not called that in the passage. Next to him, next to her, they were working together. They were covering every bit of the wall, every bit of the area of Jerusalem they needed building. There was a team of people working in unity. In chapter 3, we see the priests there. In, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, we see this, um, that Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. The priests got stuck in the religious leaders, who wouldn't normally be involved in building work, got stuck in. They were working with goldsmiths, those who were used to working in incredible detail with something really precious, who were also working next to those who made perfume, um, who were working next to city officials. Everyone mucked in together to serve a greater purpose. Those who were builders were there, and they were probably the ones actually doing the building of the wall, but there were plenty of other jobs they needed doing, clearing the rubble, fixing the gates, repairing roofs, cooking food for those who were working. This diverse group of people needed to work well together or their plan would fail. And here's the thing, unity is so important in the people of God. It's one of the most underrated things, I think, in Scripture. Unity really matters. One of the schemes of the enemy is to disunite us. It's to separate, to cause splits, factions and divisions. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Jesus himself prayed for his followers that all of them would be united just as he and the Father were united. And let me read this in John chapter 17, verse 21. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me, And I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe that you sent me. It's so hard, isn't it, to talk to a watching world about Jesus Christ when they look at us and say, but you don't even agree with one another. You don't even like one another. You don't speak well of one another. You you slander each other in the papers. You don't love one another. Jesus prayed that we would be people who loved one another. And if we do, the watching world is stunned and amazed. Because there isn't another place in the world that you'll find it. The church of God, the people of God, we're meant to love one another. The world will believe you sent me, said Jesus, if you love one another. So if unity is so important, if we're to achieve anything substantial, if we're like Nehemiah and his band of people, to rebuild something substantial, to make a difference in our community, to see the gospel transform this nation, to transform our workplace, to transform our school, our family life, unity is central to that. So how do we grow more united? What are the things that this passage tells us we need to do? Well, there are a few things, and the first is this, we need to deal with our pride. Um, nearly all the Jews, and we see in the passage, are working hard and tirelessly and unselfishly on the wall. They lay down their own pride and ambition so that the wall gets built. It's not a kind of, well, it's all about my bit. You know, so some bits of the wall look spectacular, you know, with kind of hanging baskets and everything else. Whereas others, you know, if I was building part of the wall, this, my, my bit of the wall would be three bricks high. Um, and I'd have given up and got bored. You know, but the whole wall had to be built. People were laying down their selfish ambition to build it. But there is one group um, who are mentioned, and it's a group from Tekoa. And they said this about them. Next, this is in verse 5, were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to help. The people of Tekuwa were working hard. They weren't from Jerusalem actually, that's an area outside, but, but their leaders refused to help. And what the text actually says here is that these leaders refused to put their shoulders to the work. It's not that they were weak or ill or had a good excuse, is that it was beneath them. They were leaders, and manual labour was not something they would do. They would do. They had made it um, and so other people would do the dirty work for them. Jesus makes it really clear that any disciple of his must always see themselves as a servant. We are to be the people who wash the feet of others. We're to be the people who go the extra mile. We're to be the people who see others and view them more highly than ourselves. We're to be people who engage in this discipline of service. Who are willing to put aside our own comfort, our own preference, our own promotion, and love and serve others in practical ways. And that's why we're doing the noise. I want to take a couple of moments, if you just excuse me, to talk about the noise. I think it's such an important thing to do. We want to be good news to our community by serving them in action and in deed. You know, the projects we're doing, we're painting houses, we're, we're clearing gardens, we're picking up litter, we're tidying up spaces. You know, it doesn't seem that exciting. It's not very glamorous. But we're about changing people's lives through doing little things. I want you to imagine this. Imagine what it'd be like if 200 of us on that one Saturday in September went out into our community and across 20 different projects and areas cleaned up, painted, decorated And share the gospel with our deeds and our words. Because so often, isn't it, people want to know that we care before they care that we know. Imagine what a difference that army of servanthood could make. It's a demonstration of unity. You know, some of us might have PhDs in astrophysics, but we're willing to pick up a paintbrush and paint. Some of us might uh, not have any qualifications at all and feel actually academically like, I just don't do that stuff. It's just not for me. But we pick up a brush and we paint. We can make a significant difference if we serve, a significant difference if we work together. Believe me, it doesn't take much to stop traffic. Have you ever thought about that? I wondered about this once, and this is not something you should try at home. Can I put that? But I wondered how many people it would take to close a motorway. And I thought, actually, I reckon you could get three people, six people probably, but three people each side, just one stand in each lane. You wouldn't get a car moving. Well, they're not going to run you over, are they? You'd hope. Six people to stop hundreds of thousands of people from travelling. Don't try that at home. Or on the motorway. But the reality is, is when we work together, we can achieve a huge amount. The reality is, is when we sign up uh, and serve... We can change people's lives. So please, let me say to you tonight, if you're able to do it on the 8th of September, sign up for the noise. Get involved. You're not too young or too old. We we want everyone to get involved in serving our communities and showing God's love in service and action. Because the world is watching for a church that is united. So the second thing we do to grow in unity is when we value and contribute to the work of someone else. In the passage, we see a huge number of different groups described as working on the wall. And many are from Jerusalem. For example, a guy called Jedediah was working on the wall right by his house. He was going to do a good job on that bit of wall because he wanted it to look nice. But there are many from the surrounding areas, such as Jericho, Tekoa, we mentioned, Gibeon, Mizpah. They're not from the locality of Jerusalem. They're from all over Israel. And these groups don't benefit from a rebuilt Jerusalem. They don't benefit from a kind of thriving city because actually they'd lose business. They'd lose importance. With a broken Jerusalem, these places became the centre of attention. But they wanted to work hard for the benefit of others. And isn't it true, if we uh, were willing to work hard so that others would get the credit, how much would we get done? If we're just willing for other people to benefit from our hard work. Kills our pride, doesn't it? And I think it's what Jesus uh, did himself. Gave his life, poured himself out for others, that others may benefit and that he uh, may not. You know, alongside the people who've come from a wide variety of areas, we've got people with skilled professions. I think you made money as a goldsmith. But you're willing to lay down that business and help rebuild the wall. And some, are, some who are willing just to keep going. You know, they're just so hardworking. They'll do one section, but then they'll carry on and do another, even though they've not been asked. They'll go the extra mile. And so we see amongst this group of people, this group of Israelites, um, just kind of a ragtag bunch of people from different professions, different places, different uh, kind of people groups, families, friends, diving in together saying, we want to do this to make a difference for our community. We're willing to sacrifice so that others will succeed. When we value and contribute to the work of someone else, we see every job as important. It matters. It matters. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be too keen to work at the Dungate. Um, the place where temple sacrifices, for kind of when they'd been killed and burnt, were taken out. It was called the Dungate for a reason. It stank. They took the rubbish out to the Valley of Hinnon to burn and to get rid of. It's not the most kind of glam. Imagine you sign up for a project on the noise, this isn't going to happen, and suddenly you realise you're clearing out West and Sewage Farm. It's just, you know, you're thinking... Not really sure I signed up for that, but the reality is there were guys there having to build up the Dung Gate. It doesn't sound as exciting as the Sheep Gate, or the Fish Gate, or the Golden Gate, or whatever other gates there were. But every job is really important. Every project we do matters. Everything we put our hand to is valuable. St. Um, Paul said in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, because of the resurrection, nothing we do for the Lord is useless. And that literally means nothing we do for God is useless. Everything that we do in his service matters and has an impact. Do not despise the small things that you might do uh, to serve Jesus. Do not despise the little prayers that you pray for your work colleagues. Do not despise the tiny acts of kindness that even the people you've done it for don't notice. Because nothing we do for the Lord is useless. Nothing we do for him uh, will be forgotten. Somehow, in some way... God will use that to make a difference in his kingdom. And finally, we need to know that our past mistakes do not exclude us from being involved in God's service. In this passage, there are two people mentioned who have a past. And I think they're mentioned on purpose. Um, A guy called Malchijah and Merrimoth. Both of them have complicated family backgrounds and shady histories. They were both excluded from the people of God for their conduct. They married women from other tribes, which on the face of it doesn't seem too bad, but what that meant was they were willing to uh, engage in idolatry and other practices uh, that were pretty horrendous. They basically turned to their own people and said, you're not good enough for us, we're joining these guys. They sold out. It's, imagine, it's like someone who you know, was, was a Christian has now become a vehement fighter against the Christian faith, then comes back. Imagine the Apostle Paul who sought to persecute the Christian church and became its greatest evangelist. Our past failures do not inhibit God's present grace. Please, friends, here tonight, you may well want to exclude yourself because of what you've done in the past, but God still values you, has a purpose for you, and so do we. God has not given up on you. And neither have we. We all have a part to play in this. It doesn't matter if we've got a criminal background. It doesn't matter if we've made mistakes. We have a part to play. Isn't it true that Jesus is about redemption? About transformation? About using us to make a difference? And to finish, remember the film clip. The toys that helped Buzz, uh, helped Woody to rescue Buzz were the rejects. They were the freaks. They were hidden away. But combined together, they carried out this daring rescue mission. Nehemiah took and organised and mobilised a bunch of people from all over Israel to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Because they built it together, they finished the job. Because they built together, they survived the attacks and persecutions from outside. Because they did it together, they accomplished their mission. And we have a mission to get out and serve our community, to let our actions speak loudly, to see God's kingdom come in Ealing, to see God's kingdom come in London and across our nation, wherever we may be sent. So let's work together in unity. Let's abandon our pride and our selfish ambition. Let's roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. Let's not see ourselves as better than anyone else, but let's get stuck in and serve Let's not exclude ourselves because of our past, but let's know that God can use any one of us. And can we stand to pray? To do these things, Nehemiah acknowledged that God was with them. And to do anything effective for God, we need his spirit. We need his power and his presence. Spirit of the living God, we pray, come in power. Take what I've talked about tonight and bring unity. Bring friendship. Lord, for those tonight desperately struggling with loneliness, we pray, Father, that you'd set the lonely inner family. We pray for friendships to be formed. Father, where we long to make a difference, but feel we've excluded ourselves. Lord Jesus, tonight, may you bring a fresh start, a fresh hope to every person here. Lord, where we have just considered the task too difficult and have opted out. Lord, recommission us tonight, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit.